You're listening to Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles episode 73 featuring Amazing Spider-Man number 217 and Uncanny X-Men number 146 from March 1981. Welcome to the 73rd episode of Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Pat, a.k.a. DJ Chris Statos. Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles is a podcast that will journal the Amazing Spider-Man comic books issues read chronologically by their release date, along with another comic from my comic book collection, either in digital, in a trade, or from the many long boxes stashed away in my basement. Each episode, we will provide short recaps, reviews, and some ratings on the issues for the release date. The goal is to keep me actively reading through my comics and having some fun along the way, talking about them with my friends. And speaking about my friends, joining me, as always, is Jason the Weasel Skull. Albrick, how are you, Jason? Well, I'm doing it live on this live stream. It's so hot that it's melting my ice cream. This inflation's got me howling. Gas is four forty a gallon. Doing well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, thank you for that country lesson singing. I, I appreciate it. I like to. I like to sing country. On my yeah. downtime. I hope you get a chance, uh, Slim Pickin' Weasels, I think. Yep. You know, my neighbors all love it. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're, go, you're going places. Definitely going places. Slim Weasel. I don't do it for the fame or the money. I just do it because I love doing it, man. Could definitely tell. All right. Well, let's see if anybody else can top that. Has got something else to sing. We'll go ahead and go to Delvin, the Dark Web Williams. Delvin, hello. How are you? I've been better, Pat. Um... I'm just kind of here trapped, kind of feel like in cage, like I'm alive, right? I'm alive, but I, I can't move, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and it just really has like a slow buildup coming to where like, you know, winds are howling and lightning is striking, gale force winds are blowing all around, you know, and it's just going to get worse, you know, until I can be free again. Mm. I hear you. I hear you. It's kind of like, yeah, you, you, you're kind of trapped in your own little world and it's just solitude around you and you can't do anything and even worse i I get the feeling that like there's like a robot me going around like hi i'm delvin look at me i do what delvin does and i don't appreciate that either because that's that's mocking me and hey hey robot delvin bring me a beer sorry go ahead delvin (laughs) okay jason i will bring it wait hey 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 i'm here i'm and some chips. Bring some chips. Right away, Pat. I, this is ridiculous. This Move on, Pat. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll move on uh, once we get the chips and the, the some beers in that. We'll, we'll move a little bit on forward. But speaking about moving on, 
let's go ahead and move on to our Jared. How are you, Jared? How are you doing today? Surprise, it's not Jared. <gasps> what? I, I mean, it's me, Rick, from Jeff and Rick Present. I, I was sitting at home minding my own business, and I got this weird telepathic signal from Pat saying, hey, we need your help. Jared has been kidnapped. He's been taken by some crazy amusement park owner, and you needed me to come and just sit in. I asked, you know, well, are you going to go out and save him? And the voice inside my head said, why? <laughs> oh, that sounds like it would take a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it almost like it would need somebody to kind of plan that. You'd almost need some sort of a leadership to do something like that. But yeah, so I don't think none of us are in that capable point of doing that right now. But I, I went, put on my Jared costume, mm-hmm. and yeah, I had to pull it out of storage and dust it off because I hadn't used it for a long time. But I, I, I managed to come over here and um, get the microphone working and show up just in time to help you guys out. So well, let's go, D-team. All right. We do appreciate it. Of course, uh, who you're hearing is Rick Heineken. He is a Crusader Club member and also the host of Jeff and Rick Present. He puts the Rick in the Jeff and Rick Present about unpacking the power of the power pack because the power pack can't stop. Boop. And he's also a host of monthly Monday movie Muckabout. He is our Jarrett fill-in for today. Jarrett is at Infinity Con in florida and he is there selling his wares so if you can't be there with him please go to www.theyardsaleartist.com and you can also purchase some stuff there as well to help jared out or just to show your appreciation to him and i just wanted to mention real quick pat that we would go rescue him but like jared has taught a lot of leadership classes and not followership i mean and that sounds like something that a follower would do is go get him like mm-hmm. leaders, yeah. Like, yeah. No, I, I, I would tell someone to go get them, but all of us, I can't tell you any of you because you went to the same classes. Yeah, the problem yeah. is we yeah. just keep telling each other, <laughs> and nobody's yeah. actually yeah. doing it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jared. I'm sorry, man. Have fun with those carnies. All right. Well, speaking about having some fun, you can also get in on the action here and the fun that we are having as well. You can call us and leave us a voicemail that we will play later on in the show. You can leave us a message at 707-532-5269. That number is 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. See, I was hoping for like a country one, but I guess not. (laughs) I just don't snap my fingers and make it happen. I, think okay, I thought you were practicing. <laughs> if you are home alone, you may as well pick up the phone. We'll have a good time. It's $1.99, $2.99 after the first 10 minutes. Bars! Bars! Woo! All right, with that, we will be right back. Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the first featured comic for this episode. It is Amazing Spider-Man number 217. 
The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Publisher was Marvel. Its on-sale date was March 10th, 1981. Cover price is 50 cents. Editor is Alan Milgram. Writer is Dennis J. O'Neill. Penciler is John Ramita Jr. Inker is Jim Mooney. Letterer is James R. Novak. Colorist is Bob Sharon. This is reprinted in Essential Spider-Man Volume 10 trade paperback and also the Marvel Masterworks Volume 283 of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 21 hardcover. Cover credits go to penciler John Ramita Jr. and inker Alan Milgram. And speaking about the cover, Jason, give us a cover description. The Marvel Comics banner has yellow letters over a powder blue background. The white corner box can't contain our favorite web slinger as he wings from it in his famous action pose. The Amazing Spider-Man title is bold red and comes complete with webs. The cover image is suspenseful as Spidey is swinging into a landing only to be ambushed and about to be turned to strawberry jam as he is sandwiched between Hydro Man and Sandman. Cover blurbs read, Hydro Man and the Sandman team up. Here's mud in your eye, Spidey. And this ain't no day at the beach, wall crawler. Two of those blurbs are real. One I made up. I'll let you guess. Something something color wheel. Jared will be back next month, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for that colorful description. And I am hungry now for a sandwich. I don't know about you guys, but... Mm. A sandwich. Mm. Mm. Sand. Where the... All right. Well, let's go ahead and you get see, to Pat. It was it was a it was a play on words that I, oh. I use with sandwich. Which like, ah, you add sand. Yeah, I I feel like you're not fully digesting the nuances of. of okay, you gave me some time. No, I, I think you, I'm you stuck may, on it. It's okay. You can continue. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back to it at, at a later don't, date. Don't don't oh. loaf around here here, Delvin. Just you know. Tell us, tell us what you're trying to spread. <laughs> that I get. That I get. He's talking. See, Delvin, he's talking about a sandwich. And on a sandwich, when you're making it, you spread some stuff on it. Y'all need to start this cover description because I'm getting crusty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to some quick cover thoughts on this one. And we will start with our guest, Rick. What's your thoughts on the cover? Well, um, it's fine. It's fun. It's engaging. It's telling you what's happening in the book. I like the juxtaposition that's going on here, that you do have the water and the sand that's coming up. You got Spidey in the action pose, you know, looking confused. It's good. It's not iconic. It's, I don't know, there's, I want to like it more. There's some action elements that are in here that are good, but there's something that's just missing, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Do you think, is it the background? Just being it all white, be. possibly? It might I mean, be. that's what it, I'm feeling. On it. I think that, that that's just a little too bland, and I think that that's taken away from what's kind of a cool action pose and action scene that's going on here. Mm-hmm. But there's something that's missing from making this really interesting. Jason, do you have the same thoughts, or what do you think? I definitely noticed the lack of background. I, that's one thing that jumped out at me. I don't think that necessarily I miss the background that much just because I think what they're trying to do on this cover is set up that Spidey's about to be ambushed by both Sandman and Hydra-Man, so you want to pick up this book, right? And it, it grabs me. It's a good action pose. I like the 
the double take that Spider-Man's doing there on the cover, I, I think from an artistic perspective, just having one picture that shows that kind of confusion and that uh-oh moment, I, I just landed in the middle of this minefield and having Hydra-Man popping out of the water on one side and Sandman coming out on the other, it really grabs my attention. I'm with Rick that, that probably it wouldn't hang up on my wall, but... It would definitely get me to pick up the book off the rack, I think. Delvin, what's your thoughts? My thoughts aren't as important as the commenter's thoughts. Auburn Elvis says, decent cover. I didn't own it as a child, so it does not get an automatic five for me. Strong three bumped up to a four because the scene actually happened in the comic. Bill Dunlevy says, this cover is all kinds of meh. Courtney Holland says, the background is blah. And I kind of disagree with them. I like the cover. I don't really see how there could be much room for a background in that you have two pretty dynamic characters up front and Sandman doing his sand thing and Hydro Man doing his water thing. And I like how Spidey's kind of swinging in the middle of it and he kind of does that double take like, what the? Like he is just kind of completely thrown at the fact that he has like these two sort of similar uh, villains that are um, he's having to face at the same time. I like the cover. I think it's dynamic. And I know I'm not the craziest about Al Milgram. Like, I mm-hmm. think that the interiors of the book uh, with Mooney and Romita Jr.'s pencils with Mooney's inks go a lot better than Milgram's inks with Romita Jr.'s pencils. But I still think it is a very good cover. Maybe not iconic, but still very good. Decent thoughts. I think I, I really am feeling what you guys are saying as well, too. It, I love the artwork on the two villains. Like you said, you know, smashing, they're going to just smash into Spidey and he's going to be all squished, I think. But if you had to not necessarily do a background where it's more detailed, if it was just some sort of a, a different color, if only we had a color wheel that could tell us what would be a good like back color to maybe make that pop a little bit more, I, I think that's what I'm feeling it needs. But like Jason said, I don't we had a color wheel. Yes. Jared will be back gone. next month, folks. Okay. All right. Let's we're gonna put have a to pin in this one. Anybody in the comments or watching us live, if you think there's a color that would really make it pop, let us know. We would love to hear what you think. Speaking about what we think, let's go ahead and move into the cover ratings. As a reminder, for Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles, it is a one through five rating system. Five as you loved it. It tickled your tummy feathers. <laughs> Four, you really liked it. Three, you liked it. Two, didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It ruffled your tummy feathers. Mm, 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 mm. Don't like that. Don't like that at all. Let's go to Jason. One through five. I'm at a four. I think Auburn Elvis put it best. I think it's a strong cover. It does depict what happens in the book. Um, The lack of background maybe prevents it from being a five. I also like that it has Sandman. It's kind of an, I think he's an A-list. I guess it's debatable, but I think he's an A-list villain. And you got Hydra-Man on there. Those two kind of tough foes for Spider-Man to square off against. So makes me want to pick up the book and read it. Four from me. Jason starts us off at a four. Rick, will you be higher or lower? Or just right there with him. I think I might be sinking in the quicksand of this a little bit here. I'm, I'm, I'm dropping it down here to a three. I don't know why, just something about it, the background, uh, maybe, I, I don't know if I necessarily like the double take. I think the double take does work, but 
there's something else that kind of is just drawing this off a little bit for me, and I'm not sure what it is. I'm just not entirely sold on it, so I'm going to drop it at a three. All right, Rick. I can see your three. And you know what? I'm with you with two cool guys coming in at three. That's two cool guys coming in at three and one chump at the four. Woohoo! So we will see what Delvin you, says. You didn't, you didn't let me. Yeah, I'm about to say, you didn't let me rate, Pat. You didn't let me rate. No, I know, but, but I'm but just saying right you, now. It's you had it. You had it together. It was me. I didn't. I, I, I assumed you didn't. And for that, I, I apologize profusely. That said, I give it a four. So um, I am with Jason as we are two cooler guys. You, you could be two cool guys, but us, we are two cooler guys. Much cooler than being cool, by the way. Mm. Ice uh, cold. You know what? You know what's much cooler than being cool, Delvin? Ice cold. Ice cold. I, two ice cold guys. <laughs> two <laughs> ice cold. Ice cold. You can be all right. that cool all on that right. little island alone all with right. you, being all wet and sandy by being in the middle of this this fight. You can be all wet and sandy on that cool island. Wow, we're, we're too, ice cold. And you be two cool guys. We're two biffs over here getting the chicks. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. We're pulling the Whitmans over here. Ooh, that's what we're ooh, doing. Ooh. Slow your roll there. Boo. All right. Well, I guess we got some battle going on here. Uh, what do we have in the chat, Delvin? Did anybody give a certain uh, to help determine the winner? Matt Possel gave it a three, and he was highly complimentary. That said, of the cover, Courtney Holland said it was a two, but she moved it up to a three. Was there anything? And I already told you about Auburn Elvises, and those are the three ratings that we got from the chat. Well, we do appreciate you guys in the chat sounding off. And let us know in the comments when this show comes out, either here on the YouTube or also on the podcatcher that you're listening to. We'd love to find out what your rating is and get you involved in the conversation with us. With that, let's go ahead and get a story synopsis by Delft. The title of this issue is, Here's Mud in Your Eye. The action begins immediately after Spidey took out the gunman and saved the congressman. Spidey needs meds for sure, but nope, Hydra Man immediately attacks him. Spidey basically runs away, but so does Hydra Man, to be continued. Spidey tries to get some rest by going to the movies, but runs into Debbie Whitman and her new beau, Biff. Biff gets the last laugh and the girl in the interchange and leaves Peter mad. 
We returned to the Duffy's bar from an issue or so ago, and Sandman is making time with the same woman Hydro Man was making time with then. This woman is, I'm just being honest, mid, but both the villains seem to want to impress her, so they keep committing crimes to impress her. Pete is failing at rest because he went home and found out who has been doing all the awful country singing. Pete had to mod his expectations on that one, so he goes to the bugle and hears about the Sandman Hydroman crime spree, which he goes to bust up, tired and unrested. Not a smart idea, Spidey, who catches up to both foes at the mid-lady's apartment, does not fare particularly well, wins the inevitable confrontation by literally ducking to make them crash into each other and into the East River, ending the threat. Psych, not ended, not ended at all, because out of the river, waiting to renew the fight with Spidey is something not mad, med, mid, or mod, but mud, and it don't look too happy. Back to you, Pat. Delvin, thank you for that muddy of a thing. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little wordplay. That's all. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of M's there. So I'm, I'm mystified. I'm. There's a lot of alliteration in this. Yes. One. You, and you know I'm not good at alliteration. We appreciate the alliterative <laughs> effort over here on the power pack side. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> thank you, Rick. It was a gregarious effort on my part. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Someone should make a meme out of it. Perhaps. Maybe. Maybe. Am I doing too? I'm, not, I'm, I'm probably not doing this right. So anyway, let's go ahead Any and get to the. Any memes might make might. me mad. <laughs> let's get to the brick or brack for this issue. And is it a first read or a reread? We'll start with Rick. Is it a first read or a reread for you? Wait, we were supposed to read first this? Re- y- yes. <laughs> yes, Jared. <laughs> Rick, sorry. For, for, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, now he's on, really hang Jared. On, hang yeah. on, hang on. Was I supposed to read this? All right. um, no, uh, first read for me. First read. Jason, reread or first read? First read for me as well. Delvin. It's a first read for me, Pat. <gasps> you know what that means? Because it's a first read for me too. Oh, oh, that's a Awesome. I'm glad we picked Rick to come and have to, to make the rainbow. Thank you, Rick. You just made our day. <laughs> I'm going to not make your day in a, about 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. you and probably, well, we'll see. Let's go ahead and find out what you guys thought with some high lows or what does. We will go in a few rounds here and we'll start with Rick again. Rick, do you have a high low or what the for this issue? I'm going to start with a what the. Hydro Man is shot early on. He takes some bullets and he says, aha, I'm not even human anymore. Ooh, look at me. I can get shot and it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Later on, he's in the fight with Sandman and he gets dazed by a bar stool to the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> comics. I just, I, comics. I, I, there's a level of consistency sometimes when I'm watching these fights. I'm like, okay, can we just remember what a power level is for a character? I, I understand that that can drift from issue to issue, but in the same issue, can we try to just tighten that up a little bit that'd be nice <laughs> rick no no, no i know i know l- later on later on in the in the same issue spider-man was hit upside the head with a lamp by an ordinary human being which he should have been perfectly okay yeah. instead yeah. oh i'm about to die I'm on death's door they're coming to get me elizabeth like really <laughs> Come on. Well, you get, you know what? He got knocked out the other time too by something really simple too. So it's yeah. like, come on, Spider Man. 
Just yeah. go to sleep for like a couple days now so you can get your powers back. He can't even handle that though. Spider-Man get we'll get to that, I'm sure, but he can't even go to sleep. The man doesn't get time no, no, to go to sleep. True. I'm gonna go see a movie. Can't even go see a movie. He doesn't have time to do those kinds of things. I just it, it caught me going through this the second time through and catching that with him being shot and then just oh no, I got hit by a bar stool. I'm over here now. And both of you guys, you both can take projectiles. They can go right through your body. It's not a problem. <laughs> you know, I thought about that too when he was getting shot. They they shot him in the chest and they go through him. I'm like, well, what if they, you know, what if they hit him in the head? What happens? You Same. know, then will he will he die or what'll happen? But then I thought, well, he really shrunk his head down and did whatever it was to go down the the gutter. So I'm like, well, okay, maybe his head's a little watery too or something. I don't, I don't know. I had to, I had to shrug it off and go, okay, I I just got to go with this. Sometimes we should just relax. It's just comic books. It's just comics. It's just comics. It's just comics. <laughs> That's why it's not a necessarily a bad. It's just a what the. It's one of those things I noticed this time. All right, let's go to Jason. Do you have a high, low, or what the? I'm going to give it a high. I enjoyed the fist fight between the Hydra Man and Sandman. And in my mind, I looked at it like this. Number one, Hydra Man's still kind of figuring his powers out. He hasn't been around for a long time. So I think... A lot of what happens is kind of reflex. Like when the cop shoots him, like his powers kind of automatically kick in. But when he goes to square off against Sandman, and maybe it's like this kind of honor among thieves type of thing that starts out like we're going to handle this with our fists. And then it escalates that now we're going to trigger our power. So it kind of escalates is how I interpreted it. But I thought it was an interesting dynamic. And I guess kind of on the what the level, I don't understand why Spider-Man just didn't let them fight it out and then take on the, <laughs> take on whoever was was the victor. Um, I would have done the, you know, from Russia with love with the mm-hmm. Japanese fighting fish, then like Spectre, I strike, you know, just wait for them to wear each other out. This is an educated man, right? Yeah. Kind of streetwise. That's kind of what I would have done. Just been like, oh. Let me get a corn dog or something, sit up here and watch this thing, and then I'll jump on <laughs> who's ever left standing. Jason, I want to say thanks. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate those points completely, and I think it's a great read of it as well. And I do like the fight. I do like that fight that they're in there, too. So I completely right there with you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, your your points are, are well-constructed as well. I just thought, yeah, it was just fun. It was a, a good, fun fight, and uh, Elburn Elvis mentions that the water tower fight scene uh, was something I was looking for the last time, that hopefully the Hydra Man in his first appearance would have done, and you just sucked up all that water and did all that. But I'm wondering, how did he get actually into that particular one? I'd have to go back in some issues and see if he was around there, because he said, I went into the rain and I I didn't really understand it, but again, I'm, I'll let it go because of just comics happening. Uh, yeah, plot they convenience. Ex- they plot explained convenience. It con- yeah, they explained kind it kind of. of. You yeah. know, they're like, yep, I gathered it here in this water container, and it's like, yeah, it's Hydra Man. I'm yeah. willing to accept that. Yeah. Dylan, do you have a high, lower, or what the for this round? So the lads talked about the main part of the book, which was a fight between um, Spidey and Hydra Man and Sandman. And so I'll talk about the interconnectivity that led us to that point. It was cool seeing some classic Spidey slice of life hijinks that went on. He actually did try and seek rest because he was just burned out from the events of the last few issues, which was cool. 
you know, so that gave the writing team a good opportunity to, to check in on some other stuff, like to include the bugle, to include the Debbie Whitman situation, which is hilarious because now the boyfriend is just flat out <laughs> turning into a jerk towards Peter, which is actually funny. I'm not necessarily rooting for Biff, but Pete has every ounce <laughs> of this coming. Like to run into Debbie Whitman and Debbie Whitman has some boyfriend that's just rubbing it in Pete's face that Pete is not with Debbie and had every opportunity to do it. So, yeah, at least for now, nothing bad's happened. Biff hasn't tried to throw a punch or whatever. He's just sort of getting in his digs. And I'm kind of digging it because Pete deserves it just a little bit. So just overall, the book gave a good classic Spidey feel of what you expect from a Spidey book where you get that peek into his personal life, but then it goes into the action one way or the other. And that was an enjoyable part of this book. I continue to enjoy the, as you kind of, the interlacing and or just things going on that have layers of story that have been building over the last several issues and then, and more and more. Like I was really hoping they would have dragged out the country singer a little bit more. Well, now that I've read it, I can, you know, I know who it is. But at that scene, I'm like, I think it's the short guy. I think it's got to be because, you, you, you know, they're using the throw off of the normal country guy. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's that short guy. And you saw him coming and going in several issues before. Mm-hmm. And, and I really found that interesting. And just to, for them to kind of go back through it and, you know, kind of get a maybe some closure to it. There might be some more. Who knows what will be happening? Uh, but I'm interested in finding out. Um, yeah, I, just, I can't remember why. For some reason, I knew it was the shorter dude. I mm. I have no idea why, but I I did. I, I can't remember. Mm. I, yeah. I have I was, not read these books, but go yeah. figure. I was hoping that maybe then it's like, okay, is there a short guy and like an evil villain that's short and maybe this is what he's doing? Like we had with Lalandra, is it Lalandra or, or what was her name? It was, it's Lyra. Like the only reason that I pronounced the L's like that was just sort of to make fun of it. And it kind of stuck accidentally. It's just, (laughs) it's just Lyra. It's not Lyra. Okay. The, the Delvin, the Elvin. I see. I'm I'm getting better at it. Nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear the apostrophe. Mm, There you go. With that, Rick, it is round two. Do you have a high, low or what the, I do like the ending of this book. I think that's one of the highs is we are finally given kind of what the book has promised from the beginning. We've got these two villains fighting their interesting power sets together. What happens if they actually join forces? What's that going to look like? And we have this mud monster at the end. I think it's a very interesting cliffhanger. I think it's a fun cliffhanger. And I think it's, it's just kind of a joyful comic book, super-esque thing to do. What happens when we put sand and water together and what's that villain going to look like? So I do really enjoy where this book ends at. And it's just, it's kind of fun, silly and crazy. And it does make me want to go to the next issue, which is good, which is great, which is what you want to see from these comics is how do we keep the story going in the middle of the fight? I agree. Definitely. As Jason It's hard it. to see it, but check out this splash page that I'm putting. I, it's a good splash page. You've got this creature and they haven't fully revealed it, but you know exactly what it is. And you got Spidey just kind of looking up like, what the blankety blank is this? Yeah, it was was a great splash page ending. Yeah, definitely agree. It is something 
to look forward to reading the next one. And and as Jason was saying too, the fight scene, what was ending up, you know, you knew they were going to fight and then this is going to kind of come together, but it was in a fun way of going about it. And I wanted to mention, uh, as we were talking about Debbie, there's kind of a, an opposition here of you have Debbie who wants probably Peter to fight for her. Right. And against the Biff guy, but in the opposite, you have Sandy who's got two guys fighting for her. And I'm like, Oh, not sure how not. I'm still not. uh, She, I'm not trying to talk about anybody's cartoon daughter. I'm just saying, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Don't don't be a hater, man. Don't be a hater. Everybody needs love. Dylan. Everybody gets love too. And she's got two, 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 two guys. Two guys. Two, two guys. Cool guys. Sure. Two cool guys. Yep. Going after two her. Right criminals, that's for sure. But I'm with you, Delvin. I got no clue why. <laughs> but no, don't be a hater, man. Don't be a hater. <laughs> Jason, you got a high, low, or what the? I feel like we should talk a little bit more about Biff and kind of the high on this. I think I'm at a high. You know, we've talked about Peter's behavior towards Debbie and... We all agreed it was pretty atrocious, and he got what was coming to him. I get that. That's character growth. He's apparently learning from that. He's like, man, I kind of screwed this up. And that's what we want to see in our hero. We want to see our hero grow. We don't need perfect heroes. We can pick on them, but still root for them. And now, you know, let's talk about Biff. Biff won. Biff has nothing left to prove. He's got Debbie on the arm. They're going to a movie, going out to dinner. And then, you know, he's going to get that post-interaction. You know what I'm talking about? But he's got to ruin the ending of the movie? Now, come on. Come on. (laughs) That is too far, sir. That is too far. And I'm back on Team Peter at this point. I disagree, Jason. I disagree. It It was such a classic hater move. No, no, it was so great. Can't do it. It was so great. No, no, you can't. You can't do that to somebody after they paid cash money for a ticket and are walking into the movie. If you want to do that while they're waiting in line before they purchase ticket, okay, fine, good hater move. But now you're actually doing a financial disservice to them. It's like, but see, like you know, he 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 took the perfect hater steak. He filleted it. You know, flipped it on both sides. It had a perfect hater center, and then he salt baited. Just, just put <laughs> the salt he right on top of it. Doesn't even eat that steak because he's like he's eating it full at Debbie's house. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm and and just you know he's got to earn he's got to earn that big breakfast afterwards because we know Deb fix fix his nice breakfast. Yeah, like got to earn that breakfast. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right, no team Biff, baby. Biff went too far. Biff too far. Went too far. No, too no. far. I, Delvin, I'm with you. I'm with you on Team Biff. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's time Peter got his comeuppance and, and kind of remember when Peter was a jerk to other people before, you know? It's, yeah. it's time he got a little taste of his own medicine there. Just to make, maybe he needs a little taste of some humble pie and he can go sit in the movie theater crying to that popcorn. Well, he probably didn't get the popcorn, but I'm seriously hungry right now. We got steak, we got <laughs> breakfast, we got popcorn, we got pie. <laughs> I need food in me. I need to get humble pie like a blueberry pie too, don't you? Like, if you got it in your face and it's all blue and it'll make you sad. Mm-hmm. Delvin, do you have any more high lows or what does for this? Since I already riffed on it, I'll mention a little bit just about the artwork because it is worth talking about John Romita Jr. for a little bit. I do like his pencils just a little bit better uh, under Jim Mooney's inks. 
it, it, looking back, you know, I, I've looked back sometimes and seen some artists and wish I had a greater appreciation for them, like like uh, Herb Trimpey or Sal Buscema. Uh, but Milgram, I still just don't vibe fully with his art. It just just comes across as a little bit just dark and heavy handed. And like just hey, the man's a legend. Not trying to um, that I, I can't do anything to dim this. Yeah, you know, like you know, we, we he's at least worth ten dollars in our eyes, especially uh, to Jason. But yeah, ultimately, there's just something about his style that like I don't agree with, or I, I guess a better way to say it is I agree with Jim Mooney's inks a little bit better than I agree with Al Milgram's inks. So I'm glad that he did the interiors, and uh, mm-hmm. Romita Jr. continues to add really good art to Amazing Spidey. He's been a welcome addition. Definitely, I'd second that as well, too. Reading through this one, um, it was another fast kind of turn pager on this one, uh, not only because of, of the the writing, but also the artwork was telling the story and, and the fights. And it was just really interesting to see uh, some of the panels and the design that was done. So very well done on the interior. With that, Delvin, any other comments in the chat? We have Auburn Elvis talking a little bit about uh, the book. Uh, just mentioned about the whole Biff and Debbie and Pete Triangle about how Biff behaved. It was low, but I'll allow it. If Peter had been on a date too, it would have been bad. But Biff localized the destruction to Peter. So fair move. And then he mentioned, uh, I said it before, but it's worth mentioning again. Sandman ditched the circus costume he wore just two issues ago. I bet he feels guilty for what he did to Spidey. Eh, maybe, maybe not, but... We did see, like, I mean, Sandman did attack a little bit, but, like, it was really more if he wanted Hydra Man and they kind of just, Spidey kept getting in the way, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. But those are really the uh, only comments. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get into some silly Spidey moments for this issue. And let's find out what your silly Spidey moment is, Rick. Near the beginning of the book, where they are having their, or they finished their battle with Hydra Man, we have the two cops on the top who have come up to see what's going on, and they're trying to talk to Spider Man. This Hydra Man, Hydra Man guy comes out. They both take off, and one of them says, "Sarge, you mind filling out the report on this <laughs> one? I'm not sure what to say." Love it, love it. I want to see that episode of NYPD Blue. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Jason, what's your silly Spidey? I have to go when he busts through the wall and the reveal of who the country singer was and just the artwork of a man just sitting there with his guitar and his like drawers and his boots <laughs> with the hat on his head. This guy was just so happy, just so happy to be home playing his country music. And it ah, and it was it was silly, but it was kind of fun. And I, I like Spider-Man's reaction. I like Peter's reaction to that too. Yeah. You know, he's like so frustrated. And then it just turns out to be so ridiculous that all he can do is laugh. And you know, it's a silly spidey moment, but I'm interested to see. Like, is there a relationship, a friendship that they're gonna s- strike up between these two? Yeah, between I, I don't know, but I'm interested to find out. Lonesome Pincus, I think is his name. I thought it was very funny as well. That's a good one. Delvin, what is your silly Spidey moment? Man, there was one that I, that was subtly funny, and I'm forgetting where it was, and I and I hate that. So I'll default and go to the uh, hater move that Biff made because even earlier, like he sort of tried to make, you know, he told P, he's like, press the palm, Petey. Like, you know, like recognize my greatness. 
Now that you recognize <laughs> my greatness, I'm going to smite thee <laughs> with, with this hate action going on. So he does get credit for that. It was it was funny. It, it was funny how he he I would say he curved Pete. He didn't. It was it was definitely, you know, throwing insult to injury. But like, again, I'm not mad at Biff about that. I'm, that's all I'm saying. I'm just nah, not. Nah. I'm not mad at Biff about that. But you just don't reveal the end of the movie to another <laughs> no, man. That's all no. I'm saying. Well, my silly Spidey is, of course, you guys probably saw it when he mentioned it. Uh, it is when they are fighting in Sandy's apartment, and he uh, rolls up the the carpet or or whatever it is, and Spider-Man says that, I'm not neglecting moist old you, Chuckles. I'll give you the nice carpet to splash in. So he's rolling up... Uh, Hydro Man in the carpet. It's the chuckles. It, you know, that gets me all the time. I got to call that out. Patch, it helped me out, actually, because I knew you were going to pick that. And it was something and the true silly Spidey moment that I had what happened the page before where Spidey breaks into the room and says, gentlemen, gentlemen, such conduct in front of a delicate flower of womanhood is unseemly. <laughs> 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 calling her a delicate flower that was it it was just that little bit of subtlety that was like <laughs> it was nice it was well done well i'm glad i could help you out and get your real silly spidey moment for us all right well with that let's go ahead and get into the ratings for this story as a reminder it's a one through five rating five as you loved it it tickled your tummy feathers four you really liked it three liked it Two, didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It ruffled your tummy feathers. Mm. Rick, did this ruffle or did it tickle? Starting off, I was kind of at a three, but the more we've been talking, I actually boomed it up to a four. I think really what did it is the ending of this book. I, I did like the moments where we had with Peter getting his downtime. I do like the moment in the bar where they start the fight between the two of them. And I really like that ending and the promise of what's to come with this horrific monster. So those things are good that it moves over. Decent score. I'm glad we could help the conversation, help you kind of bump it up. Jason, where do you lie on a one through five? Well, I'm glad I got to go after Rick. I thought I was going to be lonely island with my four as well. but. um yeah, I'm going to give it a four. I really enjoyed seeing the kind of the bad guy view, what the bad guys are doing on their downtime and how they're coming to fisticuffs. And Sadie was kind of an interesting character. I kind of want to know her backstory. She you know? would, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know? But apparently she's worth fighting over. She does own her own bar and has a place they can crash. So I guess there is that. I, I think she's manipulating them. Really? Absolutely. She's manipulating them. You know, there's a way you guys can plan and do stuff together. And then, you know, she kind of she tells got them a big code out of this. She yeah. got a 19 inch color television set. She's, well, well she's, we, we don't know her story. She's got mutant powers that are causing these two to just fall head could over. Be. Maybe. That's gotta be it. Could Professor be. X just hasn't got around her yet, man. That You might be right there. But I enjoyed that element of it. The fight scenes were well done, I thought. Uh, the art looked really good. And like you said, Rick, that cliffhanger, it's just like, I, it's kind of turned what I thought was kind of a filler story into like, oh, we just hit the next level here. And I want to pick up that book and read it and see what happens. 
All right, Dellen, where are you? Are you at the four? I am at the four. I thought cliffhanger plus good action plus two good foes. Uh, Hydra Man being a relatively new foe at the time and Sandman being a classic foe at the time. It gave a new element that we hadn't seen in uh, Spidey yet. You still got Spidey still being a little bit weakened from the events, too. So he's not able to like have you know full power and 100% concentration. So it's amounted to a, a good buildup and good story arc, too. So I'm with a four. What about you? Well, Devin, I'm glad you asked because it's time to boom, 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 boom. Open the door. Get on the floor. Everybody's going to break this up over. Boom. I'm at a four. I liked it. I really liked this one a lot uh, as well, too. It read quickly. There was a lot of action. And I like some of the closure or just the, the melding of all the other stories, side things that were going on, kind of coming together here. And it's really cool to read. And I am looking forward to the next issue, uh, the, the Mud Monster guy. Uh, how's he going to defeat them now? I don't know. Hopefully we will find out. But with that, we cannot leave without the new segment here called Karma Count with Albert and Elvis, who provides us what would Spider-Man do? How much rating does he get for doing certain things or maybe not doing certain things? Will Biff get any points for, you know, going that extra mile and putting down Spider-Man? I don't know. But let's go ahead and find out with Karma Count. I guess I'm your karma And I love it I can't get enough of it There's nothing above it Hello Crusaders, this is Auburn Elvis, and I bet you're asking yourselves, can superheroes improve their strengths by working out? Well, according to the 1984 Marvel Superhero Role-Playing Game, you bet they can, but it ain't easy. In the game, heroes gain and lose karma points for how heroic their actions are. Karma can be saved up over time and spent to improve a hero's ability scores. Improving an ability costs 10 times its current score, so if Spider-Man wanted to improve his strength of a 40 to a 41, it would cost him 400 karma points. And to give you an idea of how long it would take Spidey to earn that much karma, here's the karma count for his actions in this issue. Amazing Spider-Man 217 picks up right where the previous issue left off. And since we now know those assassins will be arrested, that's another 15 karma for turning them over to the police. Now the game doesn't have specific rules for how the Hydro-Man encounter resolved, so we're just going to take away 10 karma for Spider-Man letting the villain get away and move on. Later, Peter loses five more karma for more property destruction in his apartment, then eventually ends up in a battle royale with both Sandman and Hydra-Man. Most of Spidey's contribution to the battle is more property destruction, so I'm taking away 15 karma for all that. He also technically allowed a pair of cops to get assaulted, so he loses another 15 karma there. At the end, he defeated the villains by, checking my notes here, covering his head and laying down. But since I was a stickler for the rules in those earlier deductions, it's only pair that he gets some sort of reward for technically stopping Sandman and Hydra-Man. It would normally be 150 for them both, but we're just going to give Spidey half of that since the last page suggests that he might have actually created a bigger threat, but we're going to have to wait till the next issue to see about all that. Counting everything up in this issue, Spider-Man earns a total of 45 karma. If he did this eight more times, he'd have enough karma to improve his strength from a 40 to a 41. I'm Albert Elvis. I thank you very much for listening to this karma count. Play us out, Joe November. I guess I'm your karma And I love it I can't get enough of it There's nothing above it 
And that was Carbon Account by Alburn Elvis. Thank you very much for doing that. And uh, I really look forward to the point system. I'm, I'm learning a lot about it as we go. I wanted but, to say really quickly, as somebody who does listen to your show and really following along with what you guys have been doing, I really want to say thank you very much to Auburn Elvis for bringing that on and having that be a wonderful addition to the show. It's really nice. It's really classy. And I think he does a great job of it. That's just from somebody who listens. Thank you, Rick, for telling us that. I'm sure Albert Novus appreciates that as well. He's in the chat, and that's why we like to have him here. We are still looking for somebody to do something, maybe be for our second episode or our second featured. So if somebody's got some ideas for that, let us know. We'd be glad to add you to the family here. With that, that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. You got a comment or a question? Send us an email at contact at longboxcrusade.com or make a comment on the Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page. We'll be right back. In a world filled with movie-themed podcasts, thousands speak their minds, shouting their opinions into the void. Into this terrifying world of sound and noise, a new podcast about movies dares to raise its head. Appearing on the Longbox Crusade Network, in association with Jeff and Eric Present, it is the era of monthly Monday movie muckabout. Listen as people are challenged to see films that they have missed or failed to see. Hear their new appreciation for films from years past. Experience the discussions of film fans. Is the world ready for monthly Monday movie muckabout? Yes. Yes, it is. And cut. Perfect, Jeff. Great. So when are we going to start this show? Um, just me. This is my new show. I thought we talked about this. Uh, then why am I doing your promo? Because in reality, I'm an egotistical puppet master that uses people for his own profit and fame. Huh. Eh, fair enough. Da-da-da-da, monthly Monday movie muck about, watch a movie with me. Welcome back from the break. Now let's get to the second featured comic for this episode which is determined by our Crusader Club members. Club members get to vote on this segment using the online poll only available on the Longbox Crusade page at patreon.com. As always, we want to thank our Crusader Club members for voting to help determine the programming for this show. If you want to get in on the voting and all of the other amazing benefits of being a Crusader Club member, just head on over to patreon.com and search for Longbox Crusade. You can join for as little as $1 per month and help determine what each episode's second feature will be. For this episode, the Crusader Club members selected Uncanny X-Men number 146. The credits for this issue are provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Cover credits are as follows. Publisher was Marvel. It's got a cover date of June 1981, but its on-sale date was March 17th, 1981. Cover price is 50 cents. Editor is Luis Simonson. Writer is Chris, still doing it, Claremont. Penciler, Dave. Esquire! (laughs) He's still doing it. He's still doing it. Penciler is Dave Cockrum. Inker is Joseph Rubenstein. Letterer is Tom Orzakowski. And the Color Me Bad colorist is Glennis Ween. This is reprinted in X-Men Classic number 50, 
or Essential X-Men Volume 3 trade paperback, also on the Marvel Masterworks Volume 90, Uncanny X-Men Volume 6 hardcover. You can also find it on Uncanny X-Men Omnibus Volume 2 hardcover, or X-Men Epic Collection I Magneto trade paperback. Cover credits for this go to penciler Dave Cockrum, and inker is Joseph Rubenstein. And speaking about the cover, Jason, provide us a cover description. Glad to do it, Pat. The Marvel Comics group banner is powder blue with white lettering. The corner box is purple and can barely contain the heads of Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Shadowcat, Nightcrawler, and Angel. The X-Men logo is white with blue shadowing and contains both the uncanny preamble and a bonus versus murder world underneath. The main action has Havoc, Polaris, Banshee, and Iceman circling the wagons and firing their powers and weapons in all directions. Meanwhile, on an orange background looms the oversized head of Arcade. A cover blurb reads, Guess who wins? I don't know why that ended in a question mark, because that's a command, not a question. Anyway, something something vanishing point. Jared will be back next month, folks. Thank you for that artistic eye. Really appreciate just the value that you bring, Jason, with that eye that you have for art. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I would say you have a rakish eye for it. And thank I really you. Yeah, it. something, something cross hatching. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, let's go ahead and get into our, some cover quick thoughts about it. And we'll start with Rick. What's your thoughts on the cover? I like this one. I think it's enjoyable. I think it's memorable. I think it's very interesting. We've got, again, a lot of action that's going on. Everybody's using their powers, using their weapons. We've got this giant poster that's behind them. It's arcade. It's versus murder world. There's a lot that this comic promises, and it screams it out to pick it up and check it out. This is a good background, kind of what we're missing from the last issue, where it's just white. Just that simple orange color there makes the stand out a lot more. And I think that that's, you put the two covers next to each other. Maybe the artwork is better on the Spider-Man, but this one screams out to pick me up and look at me. I would agree with that. I think, you know, that splash of the orange on this really just pops everything else out and it just makes you feel excited to want to read it. And they're all kind of standing around the circle, kind of like in a circus a little bit where they would be in the middle of the, the ring so to say, with a big spotlight down on them and arcade in the back, just kind of looking obviously at that. Jason, what's your thoughts? It's interesting. As we continue to do Spider-Man and X-Men, I was never really a big Spider-Man reader. I was a huge X-Men reader. So I wonder if my love of the X-Men covers, I, I have a little bit more of a discerning eye or maybe have like favorite characters sure. that pop up on there. And my first thought was, none of these four are my favorite characters. So from a fan buying perspective of it, I'd be like, would not would I really want to read one with Polaris and Banshee and Havoc and kind of a B-team of X-Men, in my opinion? I'm, I know there's probably some really big fans out there that are screaming at me right now. But so my first instinct is like, eh, you know, maybe give this a three just because I don't have any Wolverine, I don't have any Nightcrawler, I don't have any Colossus, I don't have any Storm. All the ones that I want to see. But the background, I have to like, really grabs me. Arcade is one of those characters that, to me, it's like, how do you make him look menacing, right? He's kind of a snotty little 
little guy, a little redheaded yeah. guy, a little psychopath maybe, but not physically intimidating. But by putting his oversized head on this thing in that expression that he has, that's freaky. And then it's brilliant how Cockrum shows that they're in the arcade world simply by having an orange background with these little stars and circles on it, you know, and it just tells you, I got Arcade's face, they're in Arcade's world. It's very simple, yet evocative. So that bumps it up for me quite a bit. I like this one. Delvin, do you find it evocative? Not really. It, it, it doesn't inspire me like it does the others. And also people in the comment agreed with, mostly with Rick and uh, Jason, uh, Courtney gave it a five and said it got her attention and grasped her attention. And Billy says this is a much better cover and gave it a four. I don't know. Something about first Havoc's costume, it being all white. That's not Havoc's costume color. It it just he has a black costume. I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. Like the his effects are always cool, but there's just something about the white that just doesn't do it for me. And I, I don't know. Like it's it's not bad because, I mean, it's Dave Cockrum. How hard would Dave Cockrum have to try in order to come up with a bad cover? Very. Because I don't think I've seen a bad Dave Cockrum cover. I'm just not overly impressed with Arcade as the main villain, even though I know Arcade is a longtime staple of the X-Men, so I'm not going to dismiss him as just being an also-ran. But just something overall about the cover doesn't particularly just excite me. All right. That's understandable. Definitely. Yeah, I wasn't sure who that was with with havoc there and then reading i kind of understand why he may now be in, in the white costume or at least how it happens because it's kind of explained in the book a little bit but if you didn't know that then you wouldn't at all i like the way that banshee looks i think it's cool outfit like and they explain you know this kind of a secret agent d kind of guy you, you i would want to read some of him just being this kind of guy without his special powers and all that. I think that would be really cool. Definitely, though, the the face of Arcade behind there really, really um, just kind of pops and makes it interesting to find out what's really going to happen with Murder World. And, you know, we've been there before, but it's always still interesting to see, okay, what is going to happen this time around? Did he learn from the last time or, or what? No, it's still aggravated assault world. <laughs> with that let's go ahead and do some cover ratings for this again it is a one through five five as you loved it it gave you a ring to swing from four you really liked it three liked it two didn't like it and one you hated it it turned you into a baby (laughs) somebody changed my diaper yeah, I would. I hate that having to change a diaper, and you're at the murderer park. And wait a minute, where's the next bathroom? We got to get off and change the kids' diapers. Ugh. And all the kids' changing trays have spikes on them. Yes. What do you do? Mm. Hate it with that, Rick. I'm gonna go with a four. I think that this is not the best that's out there, but I think it's above your average uh, cover. It screams out a lot more. I think there's a lot going on here, and you know what you're getting into when you pick this book up. Fair assessment. Jason. I can't quite give it a four. I'm at a strong three, though. Mm. Like I said, I again, maybe a little biased because not my favorite characters in the foreground. Really like the arcade in the background. 
And but what really sinks it for me is the guess who wins. The editor's like, shit is cut. No, that's not a question. That's 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 a statement. That's a command. It's you can say who wins question, but guess who wins is a command. It's guess who wins exclamation mark or period. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. Do you want to borrow my glasses? And so you can take them, put them on, and push them up your nose. <laughs> no, no, I brought my own for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you notice right there on the, it says, "Guess who wins?" No, yeah, that but that works better. That works better. There you go. Three for me on this one. Four and a three, Delvin. Where are you? I'm at a three myself. Um, I actually thought that I was going to be by myself there, uh, but like I've seen too many awesome Dave Cockrum covers. Like that just take my breath away. And this one does not take my breath away, even though it's not bad. It is not bad at all. Obviously not doing anything to disparage the good name of uh, Dave Cockrum. You know, we go hard in the paint for uh, Dave Cockrum around here. Uh, we absolutely do. So Solid, solid yeah. hard. Yep. Yeah, we do. I, I, I'm really just doing like, you know, 90% of these jokes because I get such a good reaction from Rick. <laughs> And every ounce of my immaturity, it just feeds right into it. It does. It just. I have to keep reminding myself to go on mute. Just go on mute. Go on mute. Go on mute. Don't react. Don't say anything. Family friendly show. Don't do it. I'm, I'm looking for it at this point. I look down <laughs> to the left and I see Rick Karen. Yeah. Rick, I'm going to ask you back. to turn off your camera, please. Uh, let's not. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so Delvin and Jason both at a three. Ooh, well, two cool guys are at it with fours again. Woohoo! Two Woo-hoo! cool guys. Woo-hoo! And two chumps at four. <laughs> oh, no, two, two chumps, chumps at three. three. Two chumps three. at three. Three. <laughs> three. Not four. Not four. Three. Nah, you it's, said it's, it's, two it's the four. It's the reverse. He also going to edit it, so he's going to just edit that right out. Yeah, it'll sound good. <laughs> So what do we have in the comments, Delvin, that could help us in this battle off that we have here of cover? Auburn Elvis gives it a four and that he slides down to a three because the scene is not in the comic book. Matt Passo gives it a four, so it's got to go with a four. Generally high ratings for this cover, Pat. Thank you all for commenting in the chat. And if you want to comment in below as you listen to other podcasts, please do as well. With that, let's get into the story synopsis from Jason. This one is titled Murder World. A victorious Dr. Doom is gloating over his recent victory over the X-Men to his guest arcade. Doom, being Doom, instead of executing the mutant intruders, has decided to forge an arcade-like world of his own for Angel, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Wolverine. 
each of whom is facing a deadly trap for which Doom has built one hidden escape to test their mettle. Meanwhile, the B-team of Havoc, Banshee, Iceman, and Polaris infiltrate Arcade's deadly funhouse, now under the command of Mizlock, in an attempt to rescue the friends and loved ones of the ex-family held hostage. After a shaky start, our intrepid team of heroes are able to gel, fight off the deadly traps, defeat Mizlock, and rescue the captives. Our comic ends with Storm imprisoned by Doom and desperately trying to escape her metal shell, calling down the furious weather of her namesake. Doom's security is further threatened when Arcade points out to him one other disturbing fact. Nightcrawler has apparently escaped his confines. I hope Doom's property assurance is paid up because he's about to experience what they call in the industry an act of goddess. Back to you, Pat. Thank you, Jason, for that riveting synopsis. With that, let's go to some brick or brack for this issue. Is it a first read or a reread? Rick. Reread. Picked all of these up when I was a kid, all the way from like 142 on up. Actually, 132, I think it was on up. So I've got complete set that I've read multiple, multiple times. Very nice. Jason, first read or reread? This is a first read for me. I didn't have this in any collected volume, and I just recently started picking up these individual issues. So this first encounter with Doom has been a, a fun ride for me. Delvin? It's a first read for me also, Pat. Hadn't read it. And it is a first read for me as well. Oh, I was thinking you weren't going to be alone, Rick, but oh. Better put the All Jared face up. By myself. Jared. Oh, yeah. No Jared, one will believe Jared, Jared read it. Jared was the book. only one that read this. Jared is the only one. Jared. Jared, that is ridiculous. You know, I we, we like to do the reading rainbow. You know, this is the I'm one sorry. book you read, Jared. Come on. I'm now. sorry. There wasn't any mind fights. It's my favorite X-Men book of all time. Well, we will get to those. Well, you know, and I guess there was some kind of a mind stuff going on. But anyway, by somebody else. But let's go ahead and find out what we thought about this with some high lows or what does. And we'll go to Rick. You got a high low or what the? Yeah, I do. I'm going to go ahead and start off with one of the B stories in here. Not the B team stories, but we have a little side story that's going on with Cyclops and Lee Forrester being shipwrecked. And this is kind of the ongoing saga of what's going on with Cyclops and Mm -hmm. everything that's happening with him and his life outside of X-Men. And this is kind of the beginning or the continuation of something that's very interesting. Not only his relationship with Lee Forrester, which doesn't go to as many cool places as we wanted to, but where they're at is very, very interesting. And it's going to play a role going down the line about this weird island that they're on and who else is there. So I really like this, and I really like the subtlety of Claremont putting into the story. He loved to just throw a whole bunch of things at the wall, see what's stuck, and then just start picking up the storylines wherever he wanted to. And this is one of those cases where I think it did a good job. So Nice. You know, and now you got me tantalized about what is on that island. I didn't know there was something there. I thought it was just them alone. Oh, there's a lot of cool stuff that starts here and okay. All goes right. further. Ooh, 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 yeah. now definitely want to know more because I, I do enjoy the story that is happening with Cyclops and, and Lee and where that all goes. How's he going to get back to the team? And if he's feeling the weather there too, right, that is supposedly happening. Yeah, 
the weather is something else. And I think that's another moment, but I'll, I'll let okay. pass it down the line, but I, I want to get back to the weather. Cause there's something else that's kind of interesting with the weather storm that's happening. Okay. We'll get back to you in just a little bit. Let's go on to Delvin. You got a high, lower weather. I mean, they are being consistent with Scott's character. Like from what we know of him now, like all Scott really needed to do with this forest chick is like, Oh no, I thought you were Jean and just proceed to have mad, passionate sex with <laughs> Her, you, you know what? Uh, again, just it's it's Rick. I'm doing this for Rick. Just don't. She's not a redhead, which is another thing that comes up. But but she you're is not wrong. God's eyes. I mean, everything's red in his yeah. eyes. True. You do <laughs> wear true. you do they, wear rose colored glasses. Everybody is a redhead. So yeah, yeah. You know what? You're right. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I'm leaving that one alone. I, I will say that. I'll just talk about overall. Overall, like there are two good storylines in there. And, and and I'll talk about the one that's not the main one with uh, the B team of X-Men fighting in Murder World. But those are some good fights. And they at least set it up where it looked like the threat was real. And they set it up where Miss Locke, again, Miss Locke has been about her business. She gives, yeah. She gets a ton of credit because... She handled Murder World very nicely without Arcade, did the best that she could. And when it was time to go, she got the heck out <laughs> uh, and preserved her team and everything. So I give them credit for that. And I give that whole uh, side story big thumbs up because when they broke away from Storm being trapped and the intensity of the storm increasing on the outside because she is trapped and it's just going to get worse and worse and doom seeing that. And that seems like a big, big thing. And Chris just abruptly stops and goes to this story. I'm like, man, this story better be good. And it was, it delivered. It was a really good story. Yeah, it definitely did. I just the world building that uh, Chris is doing here and well, still doing here. I, I should say that he's still doing is very well done. Um, I was, totally into the traps that he had set up and you figure, you know, okay, murder world, you know, they got there once. And I like the tagline that somebody said like, and nobody ever escapes from it or whatever. Come on. They got out of it the last time, you know, I think it was lock or somebody said that, but I'm like, really, were you not there the last time they came to the, they got here and, and got out of there, but whatever, maybe it's the new improved murder world. It must be, but does, Arcade even know that they're there or is this all locks doing, you know, is it a way to maybe pull the, some of the X-Men away so they don't come to the castle or wherever? I I don't know. I'm kind of wondering because really it was her running this whole thing and her plan to get them there. Right. Saying that Arcade was, you know, being trapped there or just taken over by with Dr. Doom. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say, Pat, that this is locks doing because Locke kind of manipulated the X-Men into this because for whatever situation was going on, you had Arcade and Doom and Doom basically took Arcade for whatever reason. And then Mm -hmm. Locke was like, well, I'm not going to stand a chance of getting Doom. So I've got to manipulate the X-Men. And she gives like, I can go and kidnap a bunch of civilians and manipulate the X-Men to do the things that I wanted to do. She couldn't have gotten the X-Men to do it otherwise. So yeah, this is on Miss Locke, and she is she's doing pretty good as a puppet master. Yeah, definitely. Jason, do you have a high, low, or what the? Yeah, I'm going to give a high to the overall arc of the book. We talked about it last time with Doctor Doom. You better have a really good story when you bring a character 
a villain of doom's magnitude into your book. And chapter one was a banger as we talked about. And when I saw the cover of the chapter two, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know because you know, we knew that this B team was going to be set up to try to mount that rescue from Ms. Locke. So you kind of started me with doom versus the X-Men. And now I got to go and see B team X-Men versus Ms. Locke. I don't know if I'm going to like that, but I really did like it. They did a really solid job with the second arc, and it's set up for me to really want to see what happens in Chapter 3 here. So really good overall uh, storytelling for this arc so far. I would definitely agree with you on that one. Let's go ahead and get into Round 2 now. We'll go to Rick. Got another high, low, or what the? Yeah, I'm going to continue on with what Jason was saying there. Arcade is a ridiculous villain. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. On paper, he is going to be the most fun and the most psychotic person that you're ever going to meet. But we've been down this road. We always know that the X-Men are going to get away from Murder World. And yet, you give me Arcade and you give me a good Murder World story with some good traps, I will always be in. I know the (laughs) X-Men are going to escape. I get it. But I love the concept of this psychopath that comes up with these intricate games. Now we add on Doom and we get Doom's version of the same kind of games which is cool and a lot of fun. And I think it's a real treat to tie in some more outside influences. This is Doom's first real crossing of paths with X-Men. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. And the fact that he's doing this with these weird little contraptions, that's great. My only kind of negative thing is this is not my favorite version of Doom. I love Doom as a character. And I think he's just a little one note here. But... Once again, this issue sets up a lot of things down the path. This issue sets a story for a limited series that I really like that's way in the future, the X-Men versus Fantastic Four. They come back to a lot of stuff that Doom is doing with Storm in this issue. That's wonderful. There's a lot of little pieces that are set up that go forward, and it's so much fun. So I I really do enjoy the story, and I really like what they're doing. And I just need to do one other small thing because I forgot to mention it early on. The editor of this book is Louise Jones, as she's known here. But she is mostly known now as Louise Simonson, who is the creator of Power Pack. So Louise Simonson, every time I see her name and every time she gets mentioned, I'm just like, yes, that's my lady. That's the creator of Power Pack. That's the writer. And that's fantastic. So once again, they're... The people that Chris Claremont surrounded himself with this book and the things that they did afterwards, you can just see the talent and the team that were there from the very beginning and where they've gone on to do other things too. Definitely the respect and the talent that has come out of these is at a level that's sometimes hard to, to get to again, I think. But I, I really agree with you, Rick, on the the Doom And I just like him and Arcade playing off of each other. Just Arcade, you know, just getting away with the little things that he did. You you know, Doom would have just smacked him or just, you know, gave him the little laser pointer finger or whatever. Why didn't didn't you do that to him? There's a level of professional respect that they have, but just just that much. Just that much. I think Arcade's flirting up against that that boundary, though, man. (laughs) Exactly. But But that's also Arcade. I would be really disappointed in that character if he didn't. Arcade is a psychopath, and he thinks he is that great. Yes, he's going to go toe-to-toe with Doom, and Doom's going to respect the moxie. That's what Doom's going to respect. But yeah, nobody else could get away with that. 
do you guys think that this story arc or what's happening is not necessarily Doom's plan, but maybe more of Arcade manipulating things, you know, his little plan to maybe take out Doom? getting the X-Men to kind of gather there and knowing that they're eventually going to get out and just, you know, do a butt whooping on somebody and maybe him with Locke, we're trying to figure, okay, we'll separate the teams and do what we need to do. So then the heavies can take out Dr. Doom. I mean, we discussed that that was Locke's plan and I'm sure that Arcade doesn't mind the X-Men being there because it allows him to have a little bit more breathing room than he already did because he kind of mentioned something to Doom about being his equal, and Doom's like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're like." And I'm, I'm big time yeah. summarizing. Was like, "Yeah, you're, you're my equal because I'm letting you be my equal." Understand that, dude. You're a clown. <laughs> I'm just tolerating you right now because I got something else going on. So I'm like, I'm sure Arcade doesn't mind the X Men being there. Jason, let's go to you for this round. You got a high lower with the. I've been enjoying Doom. We said in the chapter one, uh, last time we talked about the books, like he was so smart. The X-Men had no chance against him. And he took him down without even breaking a sweat. But here we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of the hubris of Doom. I'm still not exactly sure if Arcade's a prisoner or a guest or a little bit column A, column B. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you can see that Doom's like, "Hmm, so you think you're good at building murder worlds? Well, I'm going to build my own murder world and put the X-Men in them and see what happens, right? And like I said, this is the hubris where he's going to leave, well, let me test this a little bit. The little scientist part of him needs to put in a a little escape that each of these folks can make. It's kind of like what we talked about, putting James Bond in a room with three walls. Right. (laughs) And then you get upset because James Bond got out like, oh, how did this happen? (laughs) You know, so so it's kind of interesting. And his infatuation with Storm is kind of interesting, too. The man built a robot (laughs) in her image. It's like, oh, this guy's not right in the head, but in all the best ways. So I've been enjoying watching Doom in Chapter Two here as as this arc develops. Doom and Arcade are bond villains in this i mean this is a james bond movie situation where you got the two villains and they're going after the super spies that's what this is and with mm. sean cassidy they're dressed up as a super spy you really feel it too yeah yeah it's almost like scaramanga's fun house and man with the yeah. golden gun with arcade yeah mm, yeah yeah Sc- scaramanga felt a lot like arcade when i was watching that movie so mm. yeah good example there delvin high low or what the I'll go with another high, and that's for the main part of the story. We can already see what's shaping up there. I I like how the start of the book, you had Nightcrawler in a very effective trap to where it was just kind of nothing around him. There's nothing Mm -hmm. for him to base himself around. And he very well recognized that he couldn't just teleport into nothingness so maybe he figured something out i'm interested to see what happens next issue because they left that as a cliffhanger that nightcrawler has disappeared where did he go no idea so i'm interested in that um and of course the the big power dynamic is storm of where i don't think that dr doom fully knows who he's messing with there he suspects it because 
in Doctor Doom's character arc, he's been a lot of things. Hubris, yeah, hubris, yes. Dummy, no. And he's like, no, the weather's kind of picked up here. I wonder, does this have something to do with the weather witch? And it's like, you're on to something, Victor. <laughs> and then, and then he made like a Doom bot out of Storm too. Just, oh, yeah. well, now, now you're insulting her too. Oh. Mm-hmm. you in danger boy that's all i'm saying and and it's gonna be interesting because you know once the x-men uh, get to that point it's gonna be a lot of stuff destroyed so i'm gonna guess that by the time next issue concludes uh this area outside of latveria wherever doom is it's gonna be completely reduced to rubble because i think the x-men are mad and that they're going to be out for vengeance on this one so both sides of this story were really, really good. Like, and and it was such a big, big and unique threat that they made it two prong. I think uh, Auburn Elvis, who has been writing very uh, good comments in the uh, comment section, he kind of mentioned it. It's like, so you got that B team storyline, but like he mentioned that Murder World storylines usually take two issues. And if you think about it, well, this one's going to take two or kind of three issues, but it's just not your traditional. Murder World story where everything's happening in Murder World. It was a multi-pronged story that you had uh, Miss Locke that pulled them into this whole threat. It was such a big threat, it being Doctor Doom, that uh, Professor X summoned pretty much everyone in the X-Men universe to come help out on this situation. One part to confront Doctor Doom, who was a big baddie from the 80s and even to, to, to this day. And then the other part of it is, well, now we have to go after our loved ones that are caught up in this storyline too. So we have to send people into murder world as well. So it's still a two slash three part storyline and it's involving Arcade, just not in the way that we're normally used to saying. Definitely, I agree with that as well. It's an interesting story and it this did go kind of quick for murder world itself, but I really liked some of the murder world aspects that Doom was doing. You know, his little traps, as you mentioned, they're they're all kind of in the pickle uh, when compared to the ones that they were in in the murder world before. I think these are a lot harder for them for the X Men that are there under Doom. So how are they going to get out of it? How what did happen to Nightcrawler? How did he get out? Is he maybe hearing like the storm stuff? Maybe. I don't know. Is he going to try to teleport like that with, you know, hearing the storm? Maybe he can picture himself outside. I I don't know. I'm interested to find out. And just, I was wondering the same thing, Pat, like, yeah. Were the lightning striking or something? Yeah. And give him some sort of bearing on where he can go. Yeah. A storm trying to help him there as well, possibly. And boy, can you imagine being in Wolverine's place and it's, you know, that kaleidoscope kind of, a, I mean, when I start to see some of that stuff happen, like you watch a TV and somebody's wearing like a checkered shirt and all of a sudden it starts to go kind of really wonky with your eyes. It's like, oh man, I'm going to get a migraine just by having that stuff happen. That would put me out. Definitely. I read these books when I was much younger and I can't remember the last time I've done a reread on them, but I can remember the storyline. I can remember these traps and I can remember how they all mm. get out of them too. That's how much this actually stuck in my head. I, oh. this is, these are, these are fun. These are interesting. And especially Wolverine in that checkered area, mm-hmm. Angel on the little perch, Nightcrawler yeah. in the box. Yeah. I remember those things very vividly from a long time ago of reading them. 
So this puts a kernel in your mind and you keep thinking about it. And that's what I really like about Claremont's writing sometimes. He, he gives you those little things to latch onto and, and make you think. So if you read a comic book, you're at the end and you either want to read the next one or you got to maybe sit for a little bit and just kind of decompress it and think about it. And that's what I really like, you know, doing these, the podcast with everybody, because you get to talk about it and maybe hear some different point of views and just think about it. That's a sign of a good book that you're really interested in. If it makes you think and makes you want to read the next issue. There is a lot going on on this one, uh, probably more than what we even could cover here, but there is so much going on in this story to have it packed into what it was. Was it a hefty read? Um, Maybe a little bit, but you know, I was used to it, but it still kept me interested in, in figuring out what's happening. Does anybody have any other high lows or what the they want to talk about? Just one quick what the, and this goes back to the weather. I found it very interesting that there was this freak storm that was going on in Amazing Spider-Man at the same time that this freak storm was happening here. And they said at the beginning that Doom is deposed right now, and he's actually in upstate New York is where this is taking place at. And I don't know Mm. how much, I couldn't find anything where there was connection between the two books, but it just seems interesting that there's this weird freak storm happening in Spider-Man, and this storm is occurring over here at the same time. So I just really thought that was kind catch. of cool. Yeah, that, that is a good catch. Now that you mentioned that because of the the wind and all that, that was Spider-Man was trying to, the rain and all that. Wow. I miss those days of when things were gelling together like that. The universe was a universe and little bits and pieces, little nuggets of storytelling that was going on. And I think that's really cool. I'm, I'm a big continuity kind of guy in my stories that I like. So, yeah. Wow, really? That was a good catch, Rick. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, with that, let's find out who went the extra mile in this issue. Rick, who went the extra mile for you? I'm giving it to my boy, Havoc. (laughs) I actually appreciated Havoc in this. He is not the greatest character. He has a lot of times where he is a fool. He is the second Summers brother. He is a very, very B-lister. But this is one time where I think he actually shown he has some leadership skills. He spends a lot of his time doubting himself, doubting his powers, doubting what he can do and just living in Scott's shadow. But if he just puts that aside, believes in his training early on, he said, wait, wait, before we go out and do this mission, can we just do a round in the danger room? Well, it's broken. We can't do it. But he said, hey, we can't just go out there. We need to do something together as a team. We need to be able to work together. So Mm -hmm. he recognized that. And once he started to just believe in what he can do and act, he was fabulous in it. So I'm giving it to my boy Alex on this one. I will second you on that as well, too. Uh, Not knowing a lot about too much about Havoc. um, And it's kind of good to see him and Polaris in here kind of coming together. And I want to I just think Sean's really cool looking in this one. (laughs) I thought. The backstory that he has is is really cool, but I agree with you on Havoc for going the extra mile, getting out, and getting into the control room. Jason, who went the extra mile for you? Well, you could probably make a case for all four on the B team. Uh, I agree with the Havoc assessment. Um, I'll throw in mine just to diversify it a little bit and say Banshee. I think Sean really stepped up. I mean, this guy has no powers left. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's like, let me get my gat and some mini grenades and let's see what happens, I suppose. 
I got to tell you, if I'm one of the hostages in there under Ms. Locke's imprisonment, you know, and they say, hey, man, stand by. X-Men are coming to rescue you. I'm like, great. And then they go, yeah, the team's going to consist of Havoc, Polaris, Iceman, and Banshee. I'm going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the real X-Men, man? (laughs) Where's Wolverine? Where's Nightcrawler? Where's Storm? You know, but... You know, this team pulled it together. I, again, I agree with Rick Havoc. He and Polaris have been reluctant X, X-Men at best, really, yeah, through, the, yeah. through the whole series. Usually it's like, oh, man, we're really just trying to finish our grad school project out here. We've been trying to finish this for like five years, and you keep pulling yes! it back in. Yes! <laughs> These missions. But, you know, I got to give it to Banji. He's an OG guy. Um, no powers came in more than handled his part of the business and thanks to him uh as well as the other team gelling together they were able to accomplish a very difficult task and just to point out it wasn't until very recently like the past year or two that polaris finally got her degree so it took her oh, wow. that long to get her degree she's been working <laughs> it took her on almost as long as it took her. a while <laughs> good for her sticking through it delvin who went the extra mile for you I'm glad that the guys mentioned a couple of people on the B team, and I'm going to mention one more. Iceman, go back and look and see the cool things Iceman did with his powers. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this was early 80s. Did Chris just forget this about Iceman for about the next 10 plus years? Because this, to me, showed he left the original team of X-Men. He went off to school, but yet he stayed up on learning his powers and like i mean he was just absolutely useful in the field like taking the wall immediately reducing the temperature of the wall to absolute zero so you could just shatter through it just stuff like that i'm like man he was just tactical in the field he was kicking butt like i would love to know kind of even to this day where that ice man is like i wish that they would have kept him along this line of development because it was really cool reading him. well i i think that he he is actually recognized now as an Omega level mutant because of mm-hmm. what he can do and how, how much use he can do with his powers. He has gone so far beyond then and has become a lot better character over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. They've really done a lot to develop him. So they have finally taken him from this point and moved him forward, which I agree with you, Delvin. I agree. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the ratings for this issue. As a reminder, it's a one through five rating. Five is you loved it. It gave you a ring to swing from. Four, you really liked it. Three, liked it. Two, didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It turned you into a baby. (laughs) Rick. I am going to go ahead and go with a four on this. And it's a very, very strong four. I do Mm -hmm. like this. I think that there's a few parts that are a little shaky we didn't really get into the art i felt the art was a little off in a few areas so there's just a couple pieces that don't quite move it up to five plus it's also in the middle of the storyline so there's a lot of cool stuff up at the beginning there's a lot of cool stuff that's going to happen it's keeping the excitement going but it's not just punching you in the face with it jason I'm with Rick. I'm at a four. This is way better than I expected it to be. Again, I was a little biased when I it's like, oh, ah, this is going to be where we see what the B team's up to. And I really want to see more Dr. Doom. I really want to see more of the X-Men team that infiltrate. I want to find out what happens. And I'm going to have to go through this, you know, B plot, so to speak. 
but it was way better than I thought it was going to be. So four for me. Delvin. I'm with the lads. I give it a four too. By the way, Courtney Holland mentions that the story was a four. Auburn Elvis mentioned that it's a strong four that he was possibly influenced into giving it a five, but he wanted to read the room. Auburn Elvis looks like the room is full of fours. Fantastic story. And I'm not even necessarily doing the, hey, there's a storyline on the way that's better because I'm not sure about, oh, I am sure Magneto's coming up in 150. They've, they've all but said it. So like Magneto is yeah. coming in 150. So, I mean, that's going to be a great, great story. I just know it. But like this is like the lead up. Sometimes just like you got to have that par- proper build up to have that banger of a story. And they are not messing around with Dr. Doom and Murder World here, bringing out all stops. So, man, this has been a very good story and a good cliffhanger, too. I'm interested to see how this story resolves. Definitely a lot going on in this one and lots of fun in it. I really liked it. I'm going to give it a five. I'll go above. I want to, I was going to think, you know, a strong four, but I really did like this. There's a lot going on in here. There's a lot of just detail and, and story building happening that I, I enjoyed it. I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to see Doom in Arcade. Are they going to face off? What, what What's going on here? Lots to uncover that I'm looking forward to. So I loved it. I'm all in with a five. And with that, that's going to bring us to the end of this part of the show. You got a comment or a question, let us know. You can call us and leave a voicemail that we will play later on in the show. Leave a message at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Operators are standing by. We will be right back. Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr. If you're a history lover or a musical lover, you probably know about both Hamilton and Burr's rise to power in the early stages of American history and their infamous duel. But what if you didn't know the full story? What if one of them was a werewolf? White Rocket Entertainment proudly presents a 48-page full-color comic book, Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Written by Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Art by Nate Niles. Colors by Ace Wheelie and Ken Solomon. Letters by Percival Constantine and edited by Johanna Albrecht. Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale. Available digitally on Kindle and Comics Central. C-O-M-I-X Central. Prefer a print copy? Hamilton vs. Burr, A Werewolf Tale, along with my other published works, are available at theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. That's theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Or you can buy it directly from me, Creator Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, at any of my Comic-Con appearances. Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Get your copy today. You won't regret it. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Ming Chen from AMC's TV series Comic Book Men had to say about it. I really enjoyed it. A lot of great werewolf scenes in here. A lot of great... Uh, this is how I wish history would be told to kids. <laughs> <laughs> Books like a- a Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. That's Hamilton vs. Burr, a werewolf tale. Welcome back from the break. Now, let's get to the feedback part of the show where we share your comments, emails, questions, shares in a segment called Crusaders Comments. We are thrilled to kick off these comments with special shout outs to our Crusaders Club members. These are the fine folks that have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content and so much more. So these are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. And Helica Wolf. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. 
Auburn Elphus. Thank you very much. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Ezra Gallo. Gerald Green. Jason Lady. Jason King. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Jamil. Joe Thomas. John Watson. Slacker himself, Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright. Pete, MVP. Mark Ross. Matt and Lissy Poiso. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick of Jeff and Rick Present. In the house. Rob Morgan. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey, 67. Steve Cronin. Spreadsheet. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Keep in mind that we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent addition, we should be adding you soon. But no worries. Let us know we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and we will get it straightened out. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Don't have any extra scratch lying around, but still want to help us out here at LBC headquarters? Please take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts for this podcast. If you just want to keep it short with just a five-star rating, we would appreciate it. It helps raise the profile of the show, and we will share your review on the next show. We have no comments at this time for the last podcast because it has not aired yet. Which one is that going to be, Pat? Seventy-one. Um, seven. Well, it'll. Or actually, there's an older one. Delvin is. I didn't get it done in time. Well, don't tell the folks I, that. I, yeah, I, I keep telling Pat there is no on, on time. This man <laughs> like busts his tail putting stuff out. We we put it out when we do. We're just not able to get it out yet, and that's fine. It's coming. Don't worry about it. And we will read your retweets and your shares uh, when you do that. And we always appreciate your patronage. Thank you very much. Just as another reminder, you can call us and leave a voicemail that we might play on the show. If you leave us a message at 707-532-5269, that is 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you to everyone for the likes, shares, follows, and comments. We appreciate your friendship and your help in spreading the word about this podcast. And that's the show. Be sure to check out the website, longboxcrusade.com, where posts will be made for journaling this crusade. I want to thank Rick for joining us, stepping in in Jarrett's place. You did a fine job. Thank you for joining us, Rick. I also want to thank pleasure. I also want to thank Jason and Delvin for joining me as well on this episode and everybody in the live chat. We do really appreciate it. And seeing all your comments scroll by is fun. But before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find us all on the internet. And we'll go back to Rick. Rick, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I host a show called Unpacking the Power of Power Pack with my friend Jeff, who is a robot that I created in my backyard. He just Mm. looks human. Trust me. On our show, we cover all the appearances of Power Pack. Right now, we are following Alex Power in the pages of Jonathan Hickman's run on the FF. So you can find us at Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, and I'm over at Twitter at Jeff Brick Present. Thank you, Rick. Delvin, where can you be found? I can be found on Twitter, D-E-E underscore R-A-Y, 1977, Instagram, Delvin Ray. 
Jason. You can find me at Jason Albrick on Instagram. And you can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And don't forget, you can also find Jarrett. He's at www.theyardsaleartist.com. You can also look for The Yard Sale Artist at whatever media, social media site you are on, and you will find him there as well. And if you want to interact with us via live chat and be entered in to win some free stuff on our live raffles, join us on our next episode of Doing It live stream on YouTube, just like this one. It's the second Sunday of every month at 3.30 p.m. Central Time we go live. So go ahead and check out the Longbox Crusade on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel and hit the bell so you get notifications of when we go live or when we go live with other different shows that we are doing on the YouTube. With that, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Amazing Spider-Man Chronicles. You got a comment or a question, email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com or leave a comment on the Longbox Crusade Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page, all at Longbox Crusade. Until next time, take care and please join us on the, the next episode as we continue on the crusade to read them all. Read them all. All of them. Read them all. All. Read the of. The intro music is provided by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You won't regret it. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Outtakes! I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs>